Thank you, Brother Phil, for that wonderful reminder that uh, God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to keep His Word for us, and we need to be faithful to keep walking and marching and standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you happy to be here this morning? Say amen. amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? Say amen. 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 What a great opportunity for us to express that. You know, this morning we're going to look at one verse, and the sound room has kidded me this morning several times about this going to be a short sermon. They said when they typed it in, there was only three points and only one verse. And I said, I have preached over an hour on one word. So don't worry about it. We are only going to look at one verse today, and if you've got your Bibles with you, um, and I'm going to ask those of you that are in here, that we're going to get back to some normality. I'm going to ask that you stand as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 4 of Ephesians is a wonderful uh, turning point in this tremendous book. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, um, I want to read this one verse to you and I want to talk to you today about a challenge to the church for today. A challenge for the church for today. A challenge that we need to, to understand that is for where we are today as a church. Now, this short little verse um, may seem strange in its, in its reading, but yet it is powerful when we dig into it. So if you found your place, and if not, it's right there on the screen so that you'll see it for those of you at home and those of you that are in here as well. And it says in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Father, we ask that, Lord, as we hear these simple words, and, and Lord, it just seems as though there's nothing here for us to chew on, but yet, God, I, I know that there is volumes of things that we can digest from this uh, little short verse here today. So I pray that, Father, that first and foremost, that you would hide me behind the cross, that you'd move me out of the way, that it not be my words or my thoughts or my desire, but your word would proclaim itself today. Your desire, your challenge would be before us as the people, O oh Lord. As we're living in the world in which we are called to live in today, Lord, there are many that are struggling with, with, with all kinds of anxieties and frustrations and, and depression and discouragement. And, and Lord, I pray that we would understand that God, we're not called to live in the world. We're called to live for the world so that they would see Jesus Christ in us. Lord, we ask that, Father, that you'd help us, O oh Lord, to hear these three challenges that this verse gives to us today so that you would be honored and glorified and exalted. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Now, I said the fourth chapter of Ephesians is important because it's a transitional chapter here. And why would I jump in? Now, I'm thinking about going back and starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and walking through uh, the book of uh, Ephesians with you. But in just reading, I, I saw this verse, and I saw this as a challenge that we need today, that we need to hear today. And uh, as we look at it, we find that in this chapter 4, this is an introduction to a change of direction for this book. The word therefore, when we see it, we need to always look. Every time we read the word therefore, we need to ask the question, what is it therefore? 
Uh, in my Bible studies, I teach them all the time. When you see these key words, you need to know what to do with them. You need to look to see what it's there for. Well, this therefore is there to remind us that Paul has taught us some things before, and he's reminding us that those things in which he has taught us in the past are things that we need to be living out in the present. And so Paul begins to share with us this idea here in verse 1. Um, it signals a change. Paul is saying, because of what I have said to you, these things are what I want you to do. When Paul uses the word therefore, he is reminding us of everything that he's already written. Now, you may say, well, you haven't told us that. Well, you have a Bible. You should be reading it. Ephesians is one of those books that we have studied over and over again. It should be one of those um, well-known things in our retroportor of, uh, of things. Yeah, I can't even say that this morning. Um, uh, things that we read and know because it is a practical book of how to live the Christian life. And so it's so powerful in what he speaks about how to live when the world is coming against us. So, and we think about this, he says, uh, a reminder of what he's written. Now, what Paul is saying here and what preachers oftentimes try to do is we will teach you doctrine. Now, doctrine is simply what you believe. We tell you what the Bible says so that you get an understanding of what and how you should believe. We have, there are so many doctrines in the scripture that we need to understand. And it's, and it's when somebody says, well, what do you believe? And you tell them what you believe about the Bible that is the inerrant word of God. My friends, that's doctrine. When you tell them, what do I believe about salvation? How does one get saved? When you tell them, it's all about coming to the cross, the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he did on Calvary's cross, how he shed his blood, how he died for my sins, how that when I come, I find forgiveness in the blood, and I find salvation in the finished work of Jesus. That's doctrine. That's truth. That's belief. That's our system of belief. Now, Paul teaches in the first three chapters a lot of doctrine that we'll come back to and look at someday. Uh, again, to remind you, but here he says, I'm changing from the idea of doctrine to duty. You already know, and listen, church, I, I feel like sometimes... I'm telling you what to believe over and over again, and I should be telling you how to do what you believe. And so this morning, I want to do that. I want to share with you not what you should believe. I want to talk about what you already know that you believe and tell you that this is what you should be doing. What the world is lacking today is Christians living out what they know they believe. It's time that we start living what we believe instead of just talking about what we say we believe. So Paul shifts from doctrine to duty. He shifts it from positional truth to uh, practical truth. He shifts from what we believe to how we should behave. Paul moves from the exposition of Scripture to the exhortation to go and live out Scripture. He moves from principle to practice. Having told us about what we uh, are supposed to believe and what we do believe, Paul now tells us how we're supposed to act in the world. Paul knows that many people have forgotten that duty arises out of doctrine. How we behave in life will always determine on, by what we believe to be true. My friends, you, you, you act one way and you say, well, well, that's not really what I believe. Yes, it is. We act out what we believe. 
How we live our life is, is exemplary of what we really believe. Now, we can say, I believe something else, but if we live something else, we don't believe that at all. We're just saying that because we've been told that we should believe that. And Paul is saying to us this morning, it's time that you take the, the, practice, or the principles that I've taught you and start putting them to practice. So Paul turns from teaching of doctrine to teaching of duty as believers. He wants us to know that we should have an impact in the world around us. My friends, we all know from the news and all that's been going on lately that the world seems to be having a, a, an impact upon us. And I'm not sure the church is having the impact on the world that it should. We need to no longer be willing to sit on the sidelines and in the background. We need to be willing to stand up and speak up for what is truth and say, this is not only what I believe, but this is what I'm living. It's time that we recognize. So I want to draw your attention to three challenges that Paul gives to us uh, as a challenge to the church for today. There are a few aspects of this challenge that we're going to speak about that speak directly to your and my daily walk, our daily living. All right, the first challenge is this. This challenge is personal to the believer. You see, Paul starts this chapter off, this part of transition, speaking to us practically or personally. He's speaking to us. Paul says, I beseech who? You. You. When Paul uses the word you, it's a reminder to us that he's speaking to the individual believer. While this book was written to the church um, uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, it might as well have been delivered to you and I in a, in a letter today, for it speaks directly to where we are living today. You see, the reality is that the Scripture never grows old. The reality is that what God gave us 2,000 years ago is as applicable today as it was the day that the first time it was written or read. You see, the truth is that God says His Word is endless in time and in functionality and, and in use for the Christian life. So what He tells us is that this practical, personal uh, message is delivered to you, the believer. All right. So keep in mind that all the things that we study today were not just written to saints over two millennial ago. They're written directly to you and I today as we try to live out our lives in this crazy world in which we're living. We are called by Paul to live the fullest potential of our life as we walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ our Lord. The word beseech, interesting word, powerful word, it's filled with a lot of meanings, and I want to just talk about some of those today. It means to call to one side, to summon, to exhort, to retreat, or entreat, to comfort, to encourage, to strengthen by consolation, to instruct or to teach. Now what does all that mean? So simply what it means is Paul is simply saying, I have come alongside you, brethren, to strengthen you through instruction, to encourage you to walk the right path, to comfort you in times of trouble, to lead you when you seem to be going astray, to be a friend in time of need. The Apostle Paul tells us that in just one little word that he's come alongside us to do all of these wonderful things for us and with us. 
The word beseech is the same word that is translated that we get the word comforter. Now, uh, four times in John's gospel, we find this idea that uh, we hear about a comforter coming. Well, I want to give you one. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And here's what the, the scripture says. The Lord Jesus tells us as he's telling his disciples about this coming comforter and what his role is as he walks alongside you and I as he was going to among those that day. And Jesus said, and I pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that you may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be with you. I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come unto you. Do you know that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is being a comforter, is to come alongside us in times when we are struggling? When we are wondering, how am I going to get through this very difficult time? How am I going to get through uh, the craziness of this world? He comes alongside the saints of God like a trusted friend to offer encouragement, guidance, consolation, instruction, teaching, comfort, exhortation, among many other things. He performs his ministry in an effort to help you and I grow in the Lord. He does it to make us more like Jesus Christ, less like us and more like Him. He does it to challenge us to reach our fullest potential in the Lord. If you're saved here this morning, if you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have experienced the benefits from this personal and powerful ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because at the moment that you accept Jesus Christ, as Savior, the moment that you honestly convert your heart to His, when you find that forgiveness of sin, the Holy Spirit of God moves in and dwells within us. And He begins to do that. Listen, the only way that my life ever changed was by the Holy Spirit walking alongside me and gently and comfortably and encouraging me, this is not right. You can no longer do this. You must make a change in your life. And so over the years, the Spirit of God is, is one time after another, after another, after another, has revealed things to my heart and to my life and said, you can no longer do these if you're going to be like Christ. And His greatest desire is to come alongside us. He wants to create a, a relationship with us. A true friend is someone like Paul. A true friend is someone who refuses to allow you to live a substandard life. And what I mean by that is, you, you know, many of us have things in our life that other people see. And oftentimes we'll say, well, I don't want to say anything. It might hurt our friendship. It might stress our relationship. And they're stumbling over their sin time after time after time after time. You see, a true friend says, listen, I know what your problem is. I've been there. I know what you're going through. Listen, what you're doing is not right. And God's not honored by it. That's why you keep tripping over it. A true friend is someone who comes alongside and says, listen, you need to, to elevate your relationship with Jesus Christ. A true friend is someone who helps you to become more like Christ 
by coming alongside you to exhort, to entreat, to comfort, to encourage, and strengthen by consolation, to instruct and to teach. Notice how that theme is continually coming back through. He says, I beseech. Are you beseeching anybody today? Are you walking alongside someone and saying, listen, I want you to be more like Christ. I want you to, to, to love Jesus more. I want you to walk with Him better. Our role as Christians is to help others become more like Jesus. Paul gives us a personal challenge here. As if, he says, as a trusted friend would walk up to you, place their arms around your shoulder and said, listen, I want to tell you everything God has given to me and to you in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you how that you can live up to that true potential in Jesus. I'm here to help. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to teach you. You can count on me. I'm your friend. Are you a friend? Do you have a friend? Now, there's no other friend like Jesus, no doubt. But who do you have today that's walking beside you and encouraging you? Who are you walking alongside and encouraging? The Apostle Paul had Timothy. Timothy had Paul. You see, we need each other. What a comfort that we have such a friend in that of the Holy Spirit that walks with us every day. And not only does He comfort me and guide me and exhort me and counsel me, but yet He convicts me and tells me when I'm wrong. He's honest before me. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't, he doesn't make me feel good so that, that, that he doesn't have to feel bad. He's willing to feel bad because I'm doing something I shouldn't. He's willing to make it clear. What a blessing it is when you have that kind of friend in your life. But what a testimony it is when you are that kind of friend. You see, it's a blessing to have that kind of friend. But it's a testimony to others that you are that kind of friend. You see, Paul says, I beseech you. He's speaking to each and every one of us. That there is a personal challenge for you today. What are you doing to grow to be more like Christ? What are you doing to help somebody else grow to be more like Christ? Now let's look at the second challenge. This challenge is a powerful challenge for the believer. While this challenge is personal, it's also powerful. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Now, Paul starts off this uh, chapter by reminding us of where he's at. He says, I beseech you as the prisoner of the Lord. Now, Paul reminds them that he is in prison in Rome. But he wants them to know that he is not a prisoner of Rome. He's in Rome, but he's not a prisoner of Rome. He says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, listen, the only one that holds me, the only one that has power over me, is the God of this universe. Jesus Christ holds the keys to my life. 
Paul reminds them that he, as a prisoner of the Lord, is a vast difference between being a prisoner of Rome. Paul was not held captive by bars and, or iron. He was held captive by the bonds of love. And what a great reminder for us as we think about the cross and we think about the fact that what held Jesus to the cross were not some simple nails, but it was the love that he had for you and for me that kept him on the cross. And Paul says, it is by the love of God and for God that I am a prisoner for him. Now, Paul wants those readers to know that while he might be locked up in a Roman jail, he is really in the custody of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul became a Christian, he became the property of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds us on that road to Damascus, when I was doing my thing my way and thinking I was honoring God, then I met Jesus and I fell into submission to Him. Amen. And from that very moment, I became his, and he became mine. And God wanted to know, Paul to know, and Paul wanted us to know that God has a purpose for his life. And if we look at the scripture, we see that it is evident that Paul had a, a purpose for his life. As a matter of fact, 14 of the books of the New Testament were penned by Paul. Most of them written, by the way, guess where Paul was? In prison for preaching the gospel. You see, Rome may have held the keys to his door, but God held the keys to his influence. You see, the reality is he may have been in Rome in prison, but he was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in great ways, in spite of the fact that he spent much of his time in prison in Rome, and they may have held the keys to his cell, but my friends, God held the keys to the influence that he had upon the world. So you may feel as though you're a prisoner in the, in the culture of this world. You may feel like you're a prisoner in the foolishness of this world. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not prisoners in this world. We are prisoners of the Lord Jesus Christ for this world. And we're to live it out. You see, Paul doesn't identify himself as a prisoner to gain sympathy. He's not trying to stir up some emotional response from you or I. Oh, poor Paul, every time he does good, he gets in trouble. He's saying, consider the source of this challenge. He said, listen, I'm challenging you to do something in the world around you. And I want you to understand the power that is behind you in this challenge. I'm not asking you to do anything that I have not already been doing. I'm not asking you to believe something that I don't already believe wholeheartedly into. He is simply saying, take a look at my life. Take a look at where I am. These are the doctrines that I believe and they are determining the very course of my life. He is not calling attention to the chains of Caesar. He's calling attention to the chains of Christ. 
My friends, we need to become less chained to the world and more chained to Christ. The world needs to see the church once again separated from the things of this world and uh, joined to the things of God. And then we will have a voice again. Then we will stand out in the darkness. Then our light will shine as a city set upon a hill. Then the world will turn to the, the, the Lord and say, we see the righteousness that God Himself brings through Jesus Christ as He has brought upon the church. And we've seen our own unrighteousness. My friends, then they will come. They will come to Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, if the church lives a life that lifts me up, then I can draw all men unto myself. My friends, listen. Paul reminds us of the power that we have in Jesus. The power that he had. He was, he was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner in Rome for the Lord Jesus Christ. This challenge carries weight because of who is making the challenge. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he is saying here, I am no hypocrite. I'm not telling you to live one way while I live another. Paul is telling us Look at my life. See what I have given up for the Lord Jesus Christ and then go and follow suit. That's what he's challenging us to. For the Apostle Paul knows that the words of a hypocrite don't carry much weight. As a Christian, our lives count. As a Christian, our lives matter. As a Christian, our walk makes a difference. And listen, we cannot tell the world to do one thing when we, the church, are doing something else. It's time that we, the church, recognize if we want the culture and the world around us to change, we cannot tell them to live something that we are not living before them. The Apostle Paul says the reason that this is so powerful is because I have set the example for you. The third part of this challenge is that it is practical. The challenge is practical with the believer. My friends, if it's not practical in what we are doing, if it's not a part of what we're doing, then we're not doing it. Paul's challenge is simple. He says, here's where he puts the meat to it, that we walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Now, let me just make sure you understand, I'm not talking about those of you that are plumbers or, um, you know, electricians or, or secretaries or whatever it is that you might be, teachers. That's not the vocation he's talking about. He's talking about a different vocation. He's talking about the Christian vocation, being a follower of Christ. He's talking about that we are to walk worthy of the relationship that we have been given in Jesus Christ. The word walk means to walk around. It refers to how a person regulates their life or how that they uh, live his or her life out in the world. Simply stated, it speaks of our conduct or how that we live day by day by day by day 
rather we're before people or rather we're alone. Paul tells us that we are to walk worthy. Now that word worthy is an interesting word and it means to balance the scales. I don't have a set of those old-timey scales that used to play with them at school and all that. They're so cool because you put something on one side and the other side pops up. You've got to, you know, kind of balance it out to, to see what something weighs. The literal meaning is to bring up the other arm of the scale. It has the idea of adding something of equal value on both sides to make it balance out. The word vocation here refers to a calling or an invitation to follow. Speaks primarily of our divine invitation that God has made to each and every one of us. Oh, by the way, let me just remind you that none of us, none of us are followers of Christ except by the invitation of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, the reality is none of us come to Christ because we were looking for Him. We come to Christ because He came looking for us. It was his invitation. When he called the disciples, each and every one of them got a personal invitation. Come, follow me. When he called you as a follower of Christ, he said to you, come, follow me. The Holy Spirit gave you that invitation. It's a divine invitation that comes from God himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says that we are to live our lives in such a way that we balance the scales by adding something of equal value with what we have been given in and through Jesus Christ. Now what's Paul talking about? He said on one side of the scale you've been given a great gift called salvation. Can I get an amen? amen. The greatest gift that the world could ever receive is that of the salvation of Jesus Christ our Lord. We have been given a great gift that is a heavy weight on one side of the scale. Now, the Apostle Paul says we have been given something great and weighty. Now it's time for us to put something on the other side. But how does one do that? When we have been given salvation, we have been given it through grace. It's placed on one side of the scale. And since grace is a gift that, that we did not earn... The Apostle Paul reminds us in a previous verse back in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it, I don't know what to do uh, to get it. God just gave it to me and it's a great gift, so how do I balance out His great gift? James. James gives us the answer to that found in James chapter 2. James reminds us that as he's, he's not counter, uh, uh, in countering the, the, the gift of grace, but he's telling us that once we get the gift of grace, there's something for the other side of the scale. Now listen to what he says in James chapter 2 in verses 17 and 18. Even so, faith if it has not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say that thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see what James is saying, that to the answer to Paul's question, 
We've got a weighty gift on this side of the scale. How do we balance it? By being a follower of Jesus Christ. By being a doer of what He has called us to do. By living our lives as an example before others. By saying, I believe this, and then going out and living this is how we do it. You see, the Apostle Paul tells us that it's a practical challenge. Something that we must live out. Something that we must do. It is our duty to balance the scale. How do we do that? We do it by yielding to the Word of God. By living and reflecting the truths that we say that we believe. By the doctrines that we have said we've been taught. Paul's challenge is very practical. He is simply saying, God has tipped the scales with His blessings. You have a tremendous debt to which you owe to Him. For by um, all that He has done for you. Now, that He has called you to Jesus Christ. He has saved you by His grace. We're to do everything in our power to live in such a way that we balance the scales. Now listen, let me remind you again of what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says. Salvation is a gift of grace, not of works. It's not that we're working for our salvation. It's what the Apostle Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians, work out your salvations with fear and trembling. In other words, once you've received that gift of grace, get out there and do something productive with it. Do something practical with it. Live it out before others. You and I know that we can never, ever pay back that which the Lord has done for us. It doesn't matter how many good things you do, how many good deeds you do throughout your life, you'll never... So don't worry about doing good things and saying, well, I don't want to get to heaven and God say, well, you can't come because you, you, know, you blew my plan. It was supposed to be all about me, but you did so many wonderful things. I don't know what to do with you. Absolutely not. You and I can never balance the scale. The gift of grace is greater than any works. But we can try to tip the scale by doing that which God has called us to do. Thankfully, he never asked us to balance the scale. He simply is asking us to uh, live our lives for him. That we are to be consistent with who he is, what he has done for us, and what he has given to us in Jesus Christ. What the world needs to see, my friends, is that the, the salvation that you and I, the church, is talking about today makes a practical change in our life. Let me just remind you of this. If you're out there thinking that you have been saved by God's grace and your life is not radically different than what it was before you said you received Jesus, you have not received Jesus Christ's gift of grace. God loves you and accepts you within your sin. But listen to me, friend. He loves you so much that He will not leave you in your sin. He will change you by His grace. The grace of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, when it comes into the life of, a, of one who professes Christ, it must change every step. So let me close. 
I don't know about you, but when I stop and think about all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me, I realize how quickly, how terribly behind in loving Him and living for Him that I am. But I do know that I have a duty to walk worthy of the vocation wherein I am called. I have a duty to try and to balance the scales. I have a duty to live in the light of the doctrine that I have learned. I have a duty to see that my practice matches my principles. I have a duty to ensure that my behavior matches what I claim to believe. That is my duty as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is our duty as a church of believers in Jesus Christ. If we're going to call ourselves the church, the challenge is to walk worthy in that call. To live our lives so that we are different from the things of this world. That our lives make a difference in this world. That Jesus shines through us in this world. It's time. It's time, church. We're living in the times when we have the opportunity to be a light in great darkness. To be a hope in great hopelessness. To be a guide in a guideless world. It's time that we as a church of believers live what we say we believe. Paul's challenge to the church is that we consider our lives in the light of what we have been given through Jesus Christ our Lord. His challenge is that we do everything in our power to balance or tip the scales. His challenge to us is that we live these kinds of lives so that God might be glorified in us and that the world might see the evidence of God's saving grace in our lives. So how does your life measure up to Paul's challenge this morning for the church? Where would you say that you are? Now, I didn't preach this message to discourage you. I really wanted to encourage you. If you're not where you think you need to be, that's okay. There's a friend that wants to come alongside you, put his arm around you and say, listen, my brother, my sister, I want to help you to get to where you need to go. His name is the Holy Spirit. Now, there is another friend in this church, a couple of us, that want to tell you that we too want to come alongside you and put our arm around you and say, help, let us help you to get where you need to be. Let us show you Jesus. Let us show you how to walk with Him. Let us show you the doctrines. Let us show you the practicalness. His name is Josh and Steve. Our role, our job, our desire is to help you along with the work of the Holy Spirit to come alongside and say to you, we are that friend. And we come today to be that friend. We want you to know you don't have to walk this walk alone. You're there for us and we're there for you. Praise God the Holy Spirit's there for us all. 
So let me remind you the first step, my friends. For those of you that might be listening online and those that might be wondering, well, how do I take the first step? The first step is always in coming to an assurance that you know who Jesus is. He is your salvation. There is no other salvation. There is no other name. There is no other death. There is no other resurrection. There is no other blood. There is no other than Jesus Christ. His word tells us that He is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through Jesus. So I challenge you. If you want to take the challenge of Paul, you must take the first step. And make sure that you have received Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, please do not leave today until Josh or I or someone takes time to spend with you in this book. Tell you how that you can know that you know that you know that you know Jesus loved you enough to save you out of your sin. And to begin you on the path of righteousness. If you're out there in line, the phone numbers and emails are on the screen for you so that you can reach out to us. Let us be your friend. Let the Holy Spirit be your friend. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray with you this morning. For those of you at home, you pray along with me. Father, we come before you with a challenge that is before us today that our lives not just say one thing and do another. But we pray that we would be willing to hear from our friend, the Holy Spirit. How that uh, He would come alongside us and tell us that we have not received Jesus yet. But here's how. Or that if we have received you, Lord, here's what we need to do to walk closer to you. Lord, let us take that which we have been taught throughout our days and start applying it to our lives. Lord, let it no longer be a head full of knowledge, but a life full of practical living. Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's one that does not know you, that they would come to know you. If there's one that is walking far from you, that they would walk closer to you. If there's one who is struggling with things in their life, that Father, that they don't want to let go of. Sin that keeps them beset, keeps them discouraged, keeps them beaten down. They want to blame everybody else, but they don't want to deal with their sin. I pray, Holy Spirit, come alongside them and show them You want to be a friend that leads them, guides them, comforts them, corrects them, and walks with them. Lord, help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name.